You're listening to sermon audio from King's Cross Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. For more information about King's Cross Church, you can visit us online at kingscrossraleigh.com. Our sermon text this morning comes from the Gospel of John in chapter 13, where we read this. Before the the Passover festival, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now when it was time for supper, the devil had already put into the heart of Judas, Simon Iscariot's son, to betray him. Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. So he got up from the supper, laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, and tied it around himself. Next, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to dry them with the towel tied around him. He came to Simon Peter, who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you don't realize now, but afterward you will understand. You will never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, If I don't wash you, you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. One who is bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. You are clean, but not all of you. For he knew the one who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are speaking rightly, since that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should also do, just as I have done for you. Truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master, and a messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. This is God's word. Please be seated. It is a joy to be with you guys this morning. Uh, If I haven't met you yet, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here at King's Cross. And um, yeah, go ahead and grab that. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to just to be in this passage. Um, this is a, a beautiful, beautiful text, a great um, example of of our Savior Jesus. And um, yeah, so if you're visiting with us, it's, it's a good time to come. You know, Chad mentioned we're we're kind of going through a series that we're calling Foundations and Legacy. Um, a few weeks ago, Chad preached from from Psalm 145, talking about the type of legacy that we want to leave where we see kind of who God is and um, and we want to proclaim who it, proclaim who he is proclaim his glory from one generation to the next that's the kind of legacy that we want to leave um, and then uh, we preached about being gospel centered as a church uh, Chad preached from from Romans chapter 1 um, just talking about how the gospel is is the power of God for salvation and the the righteousness of God it's been revealed to us. 
Last week I preached about the first of our three core values, community. Talking about what, what it is to, you know, the essence of community is that we're God's people brought in, brought together. The expression of community is that we use, use our gifts together to serve one another. Um, and that, that we're building one another up into the head of, of Christ. This week I'll, I'll be preaching about service, you know, looking at our Savior. You know, knowing that he served us in the, the most ultimate way. Um, and so that empowers us to serve one another, to serve others. And the next week we'll be talking about multiplication, right? So, um, you know, what it looks like to, to take our core values and multiply them in, in new churches, new believers, as we make disciples. So, um, yeah, so it's, you know, as, as we started this new year in 2022, uh, we want to kind of, you know, think about who we are as a church and, and what we want to care about, what we want to focus on. And so these three core values of community, service, multiplication, that's, that's who we want to be, right? We, we follow, follow our Lord, follow Jesus, and, um, and do that in service. So as we, as we get into the text this morning, I'm going to pray and, and ask for the Lord's help for him to be with us. Father God, I thank you for your love. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for Jesus and, and how we see his love so, so clearly in this text, Lord. Thank you for the opportunity to, to be together, to study your word. I pray that you would, you would speak to us, open our hearts to hear from you. Lord, speak, speak through me. Lord, use my, uh, me as a, as a broken vessel, as, as a, um, yeah, just use me in my weakness to speak through me, but, but to bring you glory, Lord. We love you. We love Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. So typically we, you know, we will be going through books of the Bible in the fall. We went through Philippians. We're going to go through Exodus. Um, but this, you know, this series, Foundations Legacy, it's kind of one-offs. And so we don't have the, the context of having gone through the first 12 chapters of John. We just kind of jump right here in the middle. Um, but, you know, the, the book of John, it's one of the Gospels. There's four Gospels you know, that, that talk about Jesus. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospels. Sin, kind of like synthesis, being together, optic, looking, you know. Um, so they, they look together, they look at the same things, but, but John, it's a little bit different. Like, he's, he's a little less biographical, a little less, um, you know, fact-focused. Not that not, it's not factual, but um, he's more theological. He's focusing on, on the character of Jesus, who he is, what what he's teaching about. Um, and then where we are in John, chapter 13, it's kind of a transition point. The first 12 chapters of John have been spread out over about three years or so. And then this right here, verse one, before the Passover festival, you know, this is the night before Jesus dies, right? This is Thursday, he dies on Good Friday. And so 13 to the end of, of John happens in a much more condensed time frame. So we slowed down and kind of zoomed in and, and John is showing us kind of the most important things that, that Jesus wants to teach us. Uh, John refers to himself as, as the one Jesus loved, right? So, so John, you know, this, is, this, is, this passage is an example of, of Jesus' love in, in a particular way. And so, so John, you know, talking about himself as, as the one Jesus loved, he's probably remembering things like this. Where, where Jesus shows his love in, in such clear ways. So as we go into the, the text, we're going to have three different parts. 
um, verses one through five, where we want to recognize Jesus as, as Messiah. Recognize Jesus as Messiah. He sets the, the stage, you know, been building up to this, and, and this is an important moment where we see who Jesus is. We see the, the weightiness of what it means for our Savior to wash feet. And then verses 6 through 11, we want to receive Jesus as Savior. You know, he says to Peter, um, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me, right? We have to accept Jesus as our Savior. And then verses 12 through 17, we want to represent him as servant. All right, so that's kind of my main idea for us. We want to see Jesus for who he is, receive him as Savior, so we can follow him in service. All right, so right here, verses 1 through 5, recognize Jesus as Messiah. We see in this section that John wants us to, wants us to feel the weight of this moment. Right? This, there's magnitude, there's heaviness to, to this time, to who is involved, so the, the when, the who, and the what, like what is, what's happening in here. There's weight added to, to all of these things. All right, so I mentioned just a second ago, this is before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that his hour had come. So he, he knows that his time is short. He knows that, you know, Judas is about to betray him. <clears throat> um, you know, it's his, his final night, right? He knows that his time is short. There's a, a movie, I haven't even watched this movie, but it's called, it's called The Bucket List, and it's, you know, about a list of things that you want to do before you kick the bucket, before you die. Um, so if you have a bucket list like that, only important things are going to go on that list, right? You, if you know your time is short, you're not worrying about, um, you know, foolish things, right? It's, it's crazy things. It's like, I want to see the Taj Mahal, or I want to go skydiving, or I want to walk my daughter down the aisle. It's, it's important, like, life memorable experiences, right? Um, how many guys have, have gotten on the social media fad of, of a Wordle? Right, you see the yellow and green squares? Yeah. <laughs> all over your social media feeds. You're like, what are all these squares? Right? Winning Wordle is not going to be on your bucket list. Right? I want to get Wordle out of one out of six. That's not making it. And so, you know, Jesus, with his, with his time short, um, you know, it's, it's the important stuff, the heavy stuff, the things that he wants his disciples to remember. This phrase here, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That's such a meaningful phrase to me. You know, to the end could be kind of, could be translated like the, the scope of it. He loved them as much as he possibly could to the, to the uttermost kind of, or it could be timing, like to the end of his life. And obviously, both of those are, are true. You know, God in, in his simplicity, he, he always loves us as much as he can. Like he doesn't, you know, his love doesn't fade at all. So he, he loves us to the end, to the uttermost. And we know that Jesus never stopped loving his disciples all the way to the end. There's a scene in, in John where Jesus is on the cross and, um, and his, his mother Mary is at the cross and, and John is there too. And he tells John like to take care of his mom because he's, like, her oldest son is, is passing away. Um, so just, Jesus loved them to the very end, till, till his death. Lots of things kind of get harder at the end, as they get, get close to the end. Um, I'm kind of a, kind of a nerd. Um, when I was in college, I, I used to play a, a video game called World of Warcraft, and, um, and they, 
they have these bosses, these big bosses that you have to get together with other people to fight because they're too strong for you to fight in your as yourself in the video game. And these bosses, like the beginning of the fight, is relatively easy. Like, um, don't stand in front of the dragon as he breathes fire, and that's about all you have to remember. Um, but as they get closer to the end, they get harder and harder, and um, yeah, you have to remember more and more things. So that's an example of something that gets harder as it gets took close to the end. Another example is pregnancy, right? So, Danette, sorry. It's getting harder. Um, <laughs> anybody else, you know? Your moms know, like, the baby keeps growing and, and you don't have any room for it to go, right? You take six bites and you have heartburn because there's no room for your stomach to fill up and um, it just gets harder, right? You're, and then childbirth at the very end is kind of the hardest. Um, when, uh, when our foster daughter was about to, to go back to her family, there's a lot of transition. Um, she was with her, with her family some, you know, for a day at a time, and then back with us for a day at a time, and, um, and, you know, obviously, she's two, she's struggling of lots of transition, and it got hard, right? She was, um, always kind of wanting shows, always wanting to watch shows, and, and she would wake up in the morning and, and just start whining for Coco Melon, um, I remember her, her last day with us. It was Monday. She woke up at like 5 o'clock in the morning. Too early. She needed to go back to sleep. But she woke up and she was just crying, asking for a cocoa melon. Um, and I thought about this first. Like I, I wanted, to, wanted to love her to the end, right? I knew that this was her last day with us. And um, I was remembering Jesus' love. You know, I, I fell short. Like I was frustrated with her because it was 5 o'clock in the morning. I wanted her to go back to sleep. But, um, yeah, just remembering that, remembering how I fell short in my frustration, remembering that Jesus loved his disciples to the end. We see here that, that they are his own, right? Having loved his own who were in the world. So we talked about the when, his hour had come, his time was short. The who, you know, the, the disciples are, are his own. They're not his own because they earned it, because they're good enough or whatever. And this similar time frame in, in Luke, right after, right after Luke talks about the, um, about the Lord's Supper, you know, right after that, he says in, in verse 24, Luke 22, 24, a dispute also arose among them about who should be considered the greatest. All right, so the disciples had been with Jesus for, for three years, right, seeing his teaching, seeing his miracles, and they're still missing it. They're still talking about which of them is the greatest. So it's not because of the disciples' worth that Jesus does, does this. Judas is here too, right? Even his betrayer. Like Jesus loves his own, loves the ones that are there. There's no one that he doesn't love. We see Jesus is here too. John shows us his authority. Um, in verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands, that he had come from God, and that he was going back to God. Everything is in his hands. We'll see more about his authority next week in, in the Great Commission, right? He's, all authority in heaven and earth, on earth has been given to him. We see that, that Jesus, even though he has all this authority, he's a servant, right? He literally, physically takes the form of a servant here, right? Philippians 2 that, that Nate referenced and that we 
talked through a few weeks ago. Jesus, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. So here, he literally takes the form of a servant in that he laid aside his outer clothing, took a towel, tied it around himself, poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet. So that's the who is there. And then the what, right, foot washing. Imagine this scene. Imagine sitting around dinner and Jesus gets up and starts changing and starts getting ready. He's not going to be able to sneak into this, right? He's, he's the center of attention, right? They're, he's God. Like if, if we're at dinner and there's some major celebrity with us, that person's not going to be able to sneak off without us noticing, right? Because that person is the center of attention. So the disciples see what's going on. And yeah, the, the idea of, of foot washing in this day, it's, it's just a menial task. Like feet, feet are gross, even now. Like I wear shoes and socks all day and, and my feet are disgusting, right? But, you know, they were in sandals and they were walking on dirt roads. And so even just the physical act of washing feet is, it's gross, it's menial. Right, but but there's also, you know, religious added context here with, with you know the idea of, of ritual washing and, and cleanliness and unclean and um, some wealthy Jews in the, in this day, if they had Jewish servants and Gentile servants, a lot of times they wouldn't even let their Jewish servants wash their feet. They would only let the Gentiles do it because it was too much. And so John shows these things. He, you know, he's talking about. The time is short. He's talking about who is there, Jesus' authority. And all that kind of helps us see the, the weight of this moment, what it means for our Savior, for God, for Jesus, to wash our feet. And what it, what it means, the, just the contrast between God and, and man, between you know, perfect deity and, and us as sinners. So let's, let's take this seriously, right? The, the gospel that we see here. That takes us into the next section where we want to receive Jesus as Savior. Right? We are cleansed by Jesus and on his terms. So as in this section as we read through it, it's, it seems like Jesus and, and Peter here in verses you know, 6 through 10, seems like they're kind of talking past each other. Right? Peter, you know, he says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And, and Jesus says, what I'm doing now, you don't, you don't realize afterward, you'll understand. But Peter still doubles down. He says, you'll never wash my feet. Kind of reminds me of, of a friend of ours. They, um, they had a little boy, and uh, this little boy would, would overreact for everything. He would say, never! <laughs> so it would be like, hey, buddy, can you um, take your dish from the table and put it in the sink? Never! So we, we joke like that. Never. Um, I think of that here, right? Peter, you'll never wash my feet. But then Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. He says, what I'm doing now, you don't realize, but afterward you'll understand. So we see a lot of times throughout the Gospels where the Gospel writers have this understanding of, of what Jesus meant in a new way. After the crucifixion, after they realize what it means for Jesus to be Messiah. 
have this new understanding. So Jesus will say things that like are so clear to us now, like the, the Son of Man will be beaten and flogged and put to death. And the disciples are like, what is he talking about? What could he possibly mean? Maybe that, maybe that he's going to be beaten and flogged and put to death. I don't know. You know, that the temple will be torn down and built up in three days. How's he going to build a temple in three days? It took them years to build it. That doesn't make any sense. But the gospel writers kind of understand. And so we see that here in this, in this text. We understand it in a new way that, that Jesus is, he's not just physically washing their feet. Right? It's more meaningful than that. So Jess has, has just started watching Lost again. I don't know if, how many of you guys watched Lost back in the day. And she, she was telling me yesterday the, you know, she's rewatching the pilot and having, having watched it before, she realizes, you know, some of the characters in the pilot that they're showing pretty often that aren't even saying anything, they're going to be important characters later. And so she has this new understanding looking back on Lost in the same way that John has this new understanding of this scene looking back on, on this. Right? It's not just a physical foot washing that Jesus is talking about. It's a, you know, looking forward to the cross. And this, you know, this disgusting menial task that Jesus is doing, it pales in comparison to taking on our sin and our suffering, our, our disgusting sin. So Jesus, you know, he lays down his, his life later. And that's, you know, the ultimate fulfillment of, of what it means for him to lay down his himself here in this passage. So verse 8, you know, it says, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. It's a reminder for us that, that there is no other way to heaven, right? We'll see, you see in the next chapter, John fourteen six, that, you know, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Jesus is, is the only way that we have to be clean. So that's freeing for us, but it's also frightening to us. It's freeing because, you know, it's, it's not up to us, right? We, we don't have to be good enough. We can never be good enough. As we um, started the service, we talked about Matthew eleven twenty eight, where where Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light, right? The, the yoke that, that we carry to be righteous, it's too much for us, but Jesus carried it for us. So it's freeing that we can have part with Jesus because he can wash us. But it's frightening because, you know, we want to do things in our own way. So often we get, you know, get in this rut of, of following our own way, turning away from the way of Jesus and, and walking in our own way. It's verse 10, you know, it says, one who is bathed doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, but he is completely clean. So if, if we do let Jesus wash us, if we repent and, and realize, receive him as Savior, then we're completely clean. There's this, um, this commercial that, that Jess and I quote, this old, old commercial for Orbit gum. And it, it talks about how you eat this gum, it, it makes your mouth so, gives you this good, clean feeling. And it, your mouth is so clean that you can't even curse anymore. Right? And it's, um, it's this scene where these, these girls are so mad at each other and one of them calls the other one a cootie queen. It's like, who are you calling cootie queen, you lint liquor? And then this guy busts open the door, and he's like, what the French, toast? So I was, I was quote that. What the French, toast? 
Um, and so just like Orbit Gun makes your mouth so clean, you can't, you can't uh, curse anymore. We've been completely cleansed by Jesus. This cleansing, you know, it, it even changes the way that, that we sin because we're not enslaved to sin anymore. We're completely clean. So even the sin that we still have as, as we're being sanctified, it doesn't own us anymore. We're not enslaved to it. We, can, we will repent of it because the Holy Spirit will show that to us. So we are, are completely clean in our essence. So this, this phrase here, he doesn't need to wash anything except his feet. It seems a little contradictory. Like why do we have to, to wash our, our feet if, um, you know, if, if we're completely clean, why, why are our feet still dirty? That kind of thing. Um, I think it's a, it's a good analogy for us though because, you know, if, if we are completely clean, we notice, we notice the, the dirtiness more, right? So if we've just taken a shower and you walk around barefoot a little bit, maybe your feet get a little dusty. You notice that a lot more than if you've been outside working all day. Like you, you realize that your, you realize that your feet are dirty. You're, you're sensitive to it, and so us having been completely cleansed, we're we're more, um, more sensitive to to noticing the, the sin, the effects of sin in our lives. So we don't have to. You know, having our, our feet cleaned again, it's not like an ultimate thing. It's not like we need, you know, to top off our salvation, right? That's not what we're talking about when we say, you know, accept his feet. But, uh, yeah, but let's be the kind of people that, that notice when our feet are dirty, right? If we're, we're completely clean, let's, let's focus on, on staying, staying that way, right? Being the, yeah, following, following Jesus in the way that he has cleansed us. Yeah. So a question for you guys is, is um, you know, have you bathed, right? Have you received this washing by Jesus? Have you received him as Savior? This Savior who gave up everything, right? Who, who did this physical menial task of, of washing feet and also gave up his entire life for us. And if you see this Savior, this Jesus, and are you following him? And then if so, are your feet dirty, right? Are, are there, you know, certain sins in your life that they need to repent of and, and turn from and be cleaned again? Verse 11, you know, it says, he knew who would betray him. This is why he said, not all of you are clean. So, Judas is there. All right, let's let, let's just park here for a second and think about what it means that that Judas betrayed Jesus, and and what it means that that Jesus washed his feet anyway. So let's think about the the miracles that that Judas saw. All right, Mark chapter four, thirty-five down through chapter five. There's a section of of that gospel where where Mark shows back to back to back to back that Jesus has authority over nature. He has authority over the spiritual realm, authority over our physical bodies, and authority over life and death. Right, so Jesus calmed the storm in the end of Mark chapter 4 where they're, you know, the disciples are in this boat 
and the storm comes and, and they're afraid, they're, they think they're gonna die and Jesus just tells the wind to stop and it does. Right? How wild is that? Judas was in that boat. Right? He, was, he was afraid he was gonna die. He was there and Jesus said stop and the wind stopped. And then right after that in Mark, they get to the region of the Gerasenes and a, a demon-possessed guy comes and the demon bows to Jesus and begs Jesus not to send the demon out of the region, right? to send it into the pigs instead. He says, we are legion for there are many of us. And all these demons go in the pigs and the pigs go and drown. Those demons were begging Jesus not to send him away. Judas saw that. He saw that Jesus had authority over the spiritual realm. Right after that, Mark, there's a kind of this combination scene of, you know, Jairus, a synagogue leader, comes and, and tells Jesus that his daughter is sick. Um, and Jesus is going, and he's going through the crowd, and he feels power go out of him because a woman who had been bleeding for years spent all her savings trying to find a doctor to heal her. She touches Jesus' clothes, and that heals her in her faith. That's all it takes. Jesus is, is so powerful that he's able to heal her through his clothes, right? As they're going through the crowd, the, you know, the people from the synagogue leader's house, you know, they say, don't bother the teacher anymore because your daughter has, is already dead. And Jesus says, don't give up, only believe. Come with me. And he goes and he tells this little girl to get up, and she gets up. Judas saw these and so many more miracles over the three years with Jesus. And let's think about the teaching that he heard. Right, Mark chapter 1, 22 says, they were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority, not like the scribes. Jesus was teaching them in a new way. Luke 24, 32, Jesus is with the with these two disciples on the road to Emmaus and they don't recognize him but he's talking through the scriptures with them they recognize him and he, and he leaves and they, they say weren't our hearts burning within us when he was talking with us on the road and explaining the scriptures to us Judas heard these same kinds of teachings but his heart wasn't burning it was hard and let's think about the love that he saw you know, John refers to himself as the disciple Jesus loved. He, he feels that love from Jesus. And instead, you know, Judas is, is hard-hearted about it. You know, there's a scene where a woman, you know, breaks this expensive perfume, pours it over Jesus' feet, and Judas is just worried about how much money it, it costs. He's not worried about this act of worship. Right, he probably sees Jesus washing his feet He's more worried about the status symbol than, um, than this act of love that, that Jesus shows. So I want to encourage us to not let our hearts get hard like Judas. We'd, he slips under the radar, right? Verse 22, later in this chapter, um, you know, Jesus says, one of you will betray me. Verse 22, the disciples started looking at one another, uncertain which one he was speaking about. So Judas was saying the right things. He was around the right people. But his heart was hard. So let's, let's see him 
as a warning. Let's not look down on him. You know, look at him as a warning that any of us can, can have our hearts be hard. Even, the, even if we're around the truth, even if we're hearing it, even if we're saying the right things, we can completely miss it. So let's pray that, that we see Jesus for who he is, that we receive his washing, see him as Messiah, receive his cleansing. Let's have our hearts be soft to who Jesus is. You know, let's, let's see the magnitude of, of the scene, what it means for, for Jesus, who is so far above us, so far the disciples, what he does for them, what he does for us. He washes them. He washes us. That changes everything for us. Do we see Jesus as he is? And do we accept his washing on his terms? And if we do, then we can rec- represent him as a servant. All right, so as, as we transition to, to being more you know, application-focused, I don't want us to miss that you know, it comes after the gospel. Right, we receive his washing, and then we serve. Right? I never want us to get those things twisted, that we have to do enough, that we have to serve enough, that we have to be good enough to get Jesus' washing. Right? We'll never be enough on our own. Right? He washes us, and that's what drives us to, to represent him to follow his example. Jesus sets himself as the ultimate example here, and, and we should follow it. So we see you know, who he is. He says, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord. You're speaking rightly because that's what I am. Verse 12, we, we, see this, we see this physical transformation. Right? Earlier he took off his clothes, turned, took the form of a servant, and now he's put, his, put it back on and it's like he has taken the form of a teacher again. We see this physical transformation. These terms, teacher and Lord, Lord and teacher, a lot of times they, they go together for, for rabbis in this day. You know, the, they would call their, their rabbi, Rabbi Marai or um, that type of thing, like teacher, Lord, Lord and teacher. But Jesus is, is a different level of Lord. All right, Philippians 2 again, verses 9 through 11, right after he humbled himself to the point of death, you know, it says, for this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's a scene in, in John chapter 8 where Jesus is going back and forth with, with the Jews, and it's a it's really good, you know, Jesus mic drop scene. They're talking about Abraham, and, and Jesus says, you know, I tell you that Abraham rejoiced to see me. And it's like, what are you talking about? You're not even you're not even fifty years old yet, and you've seen Abraham? And Jesus says, Truly I tell you, before Abraham was, I am. Mic drop. It, they pick up stones, they're, they want to kill him because, you know, he, when he says, I am, he's directly referring to himself as the Lord. You know, we'll see in Exodus in a few weeks, just the weight of, of God revealing himself as, as Yahweh, as I am who I am. Right? God didn't used to be different. He wasn't, I was. He wasn't, I will be. He's always the same. I am. 
constant. Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is I am. He's a different level of Lord. Verse 16, it says, you know, truly I tell you, a servant is not greater than his master. A messenger is not greater than the one who sent him. So Jesus is our master. He's the one that sends us. We are his servants. We are his messengers. And we're not greater than him. He is our ultimate example. We have no excuse to not follow him. How many of you guys like Chick-fil-A? Big fans of Chick-fil-A in here? Yeah. Christian chicken, you know? (laughs) Um, So I had a cool experience between um, high school and college. I was part of a, a gap year program that was started um, by one of the, da- like the, the daughter of the founder of Chick-fil-A. So we had, lots of, we had lots of Chick-fil-A food, which is good. We had a cool opportunity to go to the Chick-fil-A corporate headquarters in Atlanta um, to get some leadership training and, and stuff like that. And uh, one of the times that, that we did that, we got the opportunity to, to meet the CEO, you know, one of uh, Church Kathy's sons. And, um, you know, we were sitting in a circle just kind of waiting for him to come. We were outside in this, like, kind of garden sort of area. We were sitting in a circle waiting, and they're like, oh, he'll, he'll be here in a minute. And he comes, and he, he gets this shoe brush, um, shoe, shoe polish kind of brush, and he walks up, doesn't really say anything, gets down on his hands and knees, and starts brushing one of the girl's feet, one of her shoes, um, directly related to this scene. And that's kind of what, what makes Chick-fil-A, you know, the best fast food restaurant, because they have, this, um, they have this idea of service, and it comes from the top, right? The CEO wants to be the type of person that is willing to brush people's shoes off, and he wants to take that down from the owner-operator of the store to serve others down to, you know, the, the drive-through people saying, my pleasure, instead of you're welcome. Like, the, they want to have this act of service that kind of goes through everything. And so, you know, tell that story to, actually, he gave us shoe brushes. I was going to mention that. Um, he gave us these, these shoe brushes. I think I still have one. still have it. And it says, you know, Chick-fil-A leadership tool. It's a reminder to, um, just to serve and to have that, that mindset. How much more is Jesus than the CEO of a company? Right? Jesus is, is divine. He's God. He's Lord. He is I am. And if he is willing to do something like serve in this way, something like wash feet, something like die for our sin, how much more should we be willing to serve others? So we ought to do it. You know, he says that, but also in verse 17, we see that, that we're blessed if we do these things. You know, if you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. Blessing is such a rich word in the scriptures. When I think of blessing, you know, I think of the Beatitudes, blessed are those, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will inherit the earth, and um, that's just a beautiful passage. Also think of Psalm chapter one. I think that's such a helpful word picture for us to, to see, you know, what it means to, to be blessed. So Psalm chapter one, the first three verses, how happy, how blessed is the one who doesn't walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners 
or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction. He meditates on it day and night. He's like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season. Its leaf doesn't wither. Whatever he does prospers. That's a beautiful picture. Like a tree planted beside flowing streams. A tree never has to worry about water. Doesn't have to worry about getting what it needs. It bears its fruit in its season. Its leaf doesn't wither. It prospers. So just like it says in Psalm 1, let's, let's delight in the Lord's instruction. Right here, Jesus, our Lord, instructs us to, to serve, serve one another. Let's delight in that. Think of opportunities to, to serve, to, to follow him, to represent him. So as I come to a close, I want us to, you know, to think about what this means for us. As individuals, you know, this is a reminder that there is no task that's too menial for us. When I was a uh, couple years ago, back when um, people used to all work in the office and the dishwasher would actually have enough dishes that it needed to be run, I was, you know, I was, I was leading a team that was building this training courseware and I was a little bit like the bottleneck on the team. I, I would have, you know, two different roles and they would, they would build a training stuff and I'd have to review it and also answer their questions. And so a lot of them, they were waiting on, on me to answer their questions. And so I was being logical and I was telling myself that I shouldn't be the one to empty the dishwasher because everybody's waiting on me. I, I needed to do other stuff. I'm embarrassed about that because, you know, that wasn't, that was just pride, right? I was just thinking I was too good to, to do this kind of stuff. Jesus wasn't logical when he washed their feet, right? He wasn't, you know, the logical thing would have been for him to do miracles all the time, for him to teach it, to do the things that nobody else can do. We can get servants to wash feet, but Jesus wasn't logical. There's no task that is too menial for us. So we need to be careful with our attitudes, just thinking that, you know, my gifts are, are better used here or I serve this amount and um, I deserve whatever. They, they want me to give money to even though I serve. Like that kind of attitude where we're focused on ourselves and focused on, you know, what it, you know, not giving too much or that kind of thing, that, that attitude is, is poison to our community. So there's no task too menial. We also see in this example that there's no one that we shouldn't serve. Right? Jesus washed Judas's feet hours before he was going to betray him. The story of the Good Samaritan. This lawyer, you know, asked Jesus to, um, you know, he asked him, who is his neighbor? Because he's trying to get, you know, trying to rule people out. Like he doesn't want to serve everybody. He doesn't want to be neighbors to everybody. But Jesus shows him that there's nobody that's not our neighbor. There's nobody that we shouldn't serve. We also see here that it's better for us to serve. You know, we are blessed. We're blessed if we serve. And King's Cross is blessed when you serve as a church. So as individuals, we remember that there's no task that's too menial. There's no one that we shouldn't serve, and, and it's good for us to serve. And then as a church, you know, we're this Foundations and Legacy series, we want to talk about, you know, who we want to be as a church. 
We want to be a church that serves, that values serving. So we want to plan for it. You know, we're talking about opportunities to serve with you know, Gateway, with our um, Christmas outreach. We want to celebrate service. You know, those, that, those of you who serve so well, like we want to appreciate you and, and celebrate you. And then we want to give towards service, right? We want to make sure that we have money in our budget to be able to care for those in need, be able to serve those that need it. So, in this passage, we see a beautiful picture of our Savior who does so much for us. He's willing to willing to do this menial physical task and willing to, to die for us. And that's the God that we serve. That's the God that we represent when we serve others. So let's see him, let's receive him as Savior, and let's follow him. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that he gave up everything. Lord, he wasn't worried about logic. He wasn't worried about doing what he was supposed to do, Lord, but he just shifted the paradigm, Lord. He, he blew our minds with his willingness to serve us. I thank you for the way that you are with us, the way that you guide us. pray that you would continue to guide us in, in worship today as we serve you and serve one another. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.